from one gopher to another. Enjoy today. I appreciate it. Row the boat, Sky Yamaha. Thanks a lot. Well, what does the Boilermaker do every single time? Okay, he hammers down. And then he hammers down. And he hammers down again. And then he hammers down. RPO is the purest form of communism. If you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one. What? Do you want to go to war, Malaki? I don't think there's anybody out there that with a clear conscience can say it in Nebraska, and especially Tom Osborne, that great man, doesn't deserve a national championship for this. At least a share. Um, can you repeat the part of this stuff where you said all about the things? What is up, Simply the West Nation? Welcome to another episode of our podcast where we talk all things Big Ten West football. We call it the Big Ten's better half. Whether that's actually accurate remains to be seen in the coming days, weeks, and months. But speaking of the calendar, Blake Molly, I don't know how it's been down in the good life as they call Nebraska, but Minnesota has been unseasonably warm. If there's one thing Nebraskans and Minnesotans like to talk about more than football, it might be the weather. And things are certainly heating up as it's somehow already week four of college football season, and we are getting into the thick of conference play. My friend, good to see you again. Cheers, as always. Yeah, I cannot wait. This is honestly, I love this type of weather. I love getting the grill out and having grill going in the morning, having a nice burger on the grill. I tell you what, this season has been so frustrating. And really the reason why, you know what it's like? It's honestly like having a meal that is really good but too small. And that's what's happening. And we're finally getting into that part of this season. This, this happened to me tonight. My wife was making, she's become this gourmet chef when it comes to making burgers. And I know that sounds crazy, but every time I even smell it before it's even cooked, my mouth starts watering. And then she had it tonight, but she only made enough for one, for, for one person to have only one. That sucked because I wanted so much more. And it's a testament to how good of a cook she is because that's what it was. And that's, I don't know how good Nebraska is. I don't know how good Wisconsin is, even though I think they're freaking amazing and they've shut everybody out. Iowa, I can't tell either. There was times where I thought they looked terrible against Iowa State. Then Illinois drops a pooper on Eastern Michigan. This is ridiculous. Purdue has no court, has no depth. They lost their quarterback. He's got a concussion. It's so frustrating. Now, every week, we're getting into Big Ten play. We're going to figure out who's any good. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to get into it. Let's let's get this podcast started so we can talk more about uh, who's good, who's not good, and what are we going to find out. Absolutely, yeah. Feels more like uh, maybe July than September outside. Blake and his lovely wife have the grill going. I, uh, for our YouTube viewers, I'm, I'm doing my best to to beat the heat here in Minnesota. What are you washing down that fine, uh, but maybe not uh, substantial enough meal with tonight, Blake? As always, we we try to feature different beers from around the Big Ten West locales. What are you uh, drinking tonight, my friend? I am drinking the Extra Citra 
Tail Ale from Surly Brewing Company. Oh. And correct me if I'm wrong, they're Minneapolis or are they St. Paul? I've heard of Surly before. They're kind of right on that border that straddles uh, the abyss between Minneapolis and St. Paul. I believe if you look up their address, it is on the Minneapolis side, fairly close to downtown. Next time you're up here, if anybody's in the Twin Cities, go to Surly Brewery. One of the best brewery experiences you'll ever have. Great food, great patio, um, great live music a lot. So, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Award-winning food. Now this citru- extra citrus pale ale, I really like citrusy, like very fruity flavored pale ale. That 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 explains a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really like that because um, it kind of bites, but it has just enough. And when you you can drink a lot more of the pale ales if it has enough citrus in it. So I would say it it rivals the Ranger IPAs or the Juicy I- Voodoo Ranger IPA from uh, New Belgium Brewery. But go ahead and check it out if you get a chance. Plus, they have really cool artwork on these Surly, the Surly Brews. I like them. Uh, what, are you, what are you drinking? Yeah, Surly is a, a staple here in the Twin Cities. I have ventured across the border um, to the land of, of Cheeseheads and gone with a, a good old classic, uh, the Lining Kugels, the pride of Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Blake and I both have some friends from that town. I think we've both been to that brewery on one or two occasions, and you can't go wrong with the Lineys. This is a canoe paddler. Uh, this is another one of those beers that I feel like you can drink on a hot day like we've had lately or in the middle of winter really balanced um a nice cool style beer that they brew uh Lainey's, you know I, I really associate them more with summer and you know a nice summer shandy they have a lot of good shandies that you can take out on the pontoon or or, or sit out and enjoy after mowing the lawn uh, but the canoe paddler's a little more of a beery beer um so definitely enjoying that it's a good time um, of year for if you're, hey you know what's funny is that you say that i've always associated them with really good winter beers and well, my favorite go. is their award-winning Creamy Dark. So yeah, the yeah. shout-out to all my Lineys fans out there. Yeah, they've got a good range. Well, speaking of range, we're going to be kind of all over the board. There is a lot to talk about this week again as we get into conference play. Uh, again, we have power rankings this week, so we'll kind of unveil those as we go along. Blake will talk about his picks against the spread or over-unders um, from kind of a gambling standpoint. Uh, Wisconsin-Michigan, kind of the A topic this week, we'll get into that. So as Blake said, let's get after it, and we're going to start with... Uh, the first matchup for the Cornhuskers of Nebraska, where Blake lives and where I'm from. First conference matchup for the Huskers after kind of getting back on track against Northern Illinois last week. As you mentioned, Illinois, Nebraska's opponent this Saturday, really kind of laid an egg against an Eastern Michigan team that it probably could have beat by a couple touchdowns if it hadn't shot itself in the foot so many times. It will be an interesting game to see can the Illini get back on track and has Nebraska figured some things out in terms of being able to run the football. That offense has gotten a little bit better every game. Adrian Martinez looks a little more comfortable every game. This will be another another test. Uh, first Big Ten game. It's on the road for Nebraska. And, uh, you know, the keys I look at, Blake, uh, really come down to both teams' ground games and run defense. Illini yielding just 79.3 yards per game on the ground. That's 17th in the country despite the loss to Eastern Michigan. There are some athletes on that Illinois defense. Again, so many of these these stats are kind of qualified with the competition that these teams have played. We'll learn more about just how well Illinois can stack up, but we will about Nebraska, too number 20 run defense in the country and they've really zeroed in this week on running back Reggie Corbin from Illinois he is averaging seven and a half yards per carry for through three games so it's really going to come down to who can win those battles in the trenches and get the ground game going at 7 p.m central this Saturday on Big Ten Network yeah and you just got to look at this that you know Illinois actually has a lot of skill guys but as we're, we're actually this is going to be a theme of this week the D-line and O-line make a huge difference to, between how good your skill players can actually play. Uh, Peters can make some throws against zone. He's okay against some man-to-man. Man-to-man, typically, you need to have very pinpoint accuracy, lots of great touch. Zone, you're just throwing into windows and having the guy go catch it in between. So that's why quarterbacks typically can, if they have time, can pick apart zones. Peters, uh, and he can move a little bit too. 
So he's got a little bit of run. He's not the most athletic guy, but we'll see. And then the Husker O-line. Illinois has a smaller, smallish, very athletic. A lot of, I'd call them like forwards on a basketball team, guys. Not a lot of these big 330-pound run stuffers or even 290, 280-pounder guys. These guys are just athletes that go out and make do a lot of stunting. Um, they they can stop the run, but they don't have a lot of depth. So if you can if you can actually run on them, this might get ugly really fast. But I haven't seen Nebraska's O line really protect Taylor Martinez. Even against Northern Illinois, they were getting pressure on him. Uh, they were getting pressure on Taylor. Or did I say Taylor Martinez? I keep wanting to say two a.m. and then Taylor Martinez, Adrian Martinez. It's uh, an easy mistake that we all continue to make. No, but I've been doing it a lot lately. My dad caught <laughs> it on the last po- last last podcast. Not cool. I wonder uh, what old Taylor Martinez is up to these days. We should look into that and, and circle back on that. He's working in New York. I'm, a, I'm LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn with him. Oh, uh, good for you. I know he was in like app development after school. He kind of worked for a startup or two there in developing an app. So so good for Team Magic. Gosh, he was fun to watch. Yeah, when he, well, when he was healthy. And then well, and then the DBs. Honestly, they don't have very good DBs. I mean, that's honestly what it's coming down to. But if there's no time, who knows what's going to happen? We saw that uh, 2 a.m. couldn't get couldn't get a lot of stuff going. He was very inconsistent. A lot of short throws that had to go for or just like boomer bust stuff. He didn't have a lot of time, and that's really what it's going to come down to this week. Sure. sure. Two more really important storylines coming out of Nebraska's 44-8 win over Northern Illinois. Number one, the kicking game. Suck. Starting kicker, hurt before the first game of the year, Barrett Pickering. Hasn't kicked yet in a game this year. Backup kicker, Dylan Jorgensen, walk on. Hurt. Hurt. Out. Nebraska has turned to its club. Soccer team trying to build depth. depth. They've had Isaac Armstrong kick. He obviously missed the kick in overtime against Colorado. He's their punter. Very good punter. Hasn't done a whole lot of place kicking, especially on short notice in his life. They even have a safety who transferred from Air Force who's done some kicking that they had kick and actually had a pretty nice kick um, in that game. Blake, have you ever watched a game or been part of a game at any level where five kicks were blocked? That Northern Illinois game was uh, had some putrid special teams play, really, by both teams. Uh, yes. I mean, I've never had that happen, but I it was putrid. Um Nebraska, I'm not that worried because we don't need to be worried until Ohio State and some other teams. Honestly, there's only a couple games where I'm thinking that the that kicking game is going to become an issue. But if you are in games, close games, that's really where it's going to come down to. Hopefully, Nebraska get Barrett Pickering back. It stinks because... The special teams has been terrible for the last couple of years anyways. Now we have pretty much everything's working really well except for the kicking game because three kickers have gotten hurt. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. And then finally, this blew up on social media, and I don't know why. And it's 2019, and silly things just happen, it seems to be. But Scott Frost's pants were essentially trending locally in Nebraska. Apparently, Scott Frost wears kind of tight pants. Those aren't the types of things I'm noticing during the course of a college football game, especially when it comes to the Huskers. But pretty humorous how that kind of has blown up and become a a silly topic of conversation. I suppose when those are the things people are pointing fun at you on social media for, uh, that's a better place than Nebraska has been in the past couple of years. Maybe that's a way to look at it. You know what that takes? I do. It takes balls. Yeah. And with that, we'll move on to Minnesota. By the way, we talked about power rankings. We've got Nebraska at number three. They move up one spot this week after looking pretty good overall against Northern Illinois. Um, Illinois continues to be at the bottom of the division, especially after losing to Eastern Michigan. They are going to have to, to figure some things out. A lot of turnovers, a lot of mistakes in that game. We'll see if they can get back at it against the Huskers. The University of Minnesota, number four on our power rankings. They have a bye this weekend. 
Then they're at Purdue on September 28th to open conference play. Somehow, some way, one of our followers on Facebook brought this up and asked us to kind of break it down. Minnesota is 3-0, and but kind of by the skin of the of Goldie Gophers' two buck teeth. The latest, a last second victory over Georgia Southern, a team that I think a lot of people thought Minnesota might be able to walk all over. But we talked about it, Blake, that triple option can be difficult to defend. And there's something about these PJ Fleck teams that continue to play to their competition, whether it's up or down. Saw that again this past Saturday. And if it weren't for our guy, Tyler Johnson, uh, finally getting going, the the big whiteout from Minneapolis, uh, Gophers could really be going into this bye week hurting, but as it stands, they eke out a last second victory. Um, and, and if there's a silver lining for them, I suppose it's that you 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 know or assume at some point in conference play, as they they try to vie for a Big Ten West championship, they're going to be in some close games, and they won't be a stranger to that because they've really get all three of their games to date have been in doubt in the fourth quarter. They've actually trailed almost 22 minutes of football in the fourth quarter this season. So um, they're used to finding a way to get it done late. The flip side of that, of course, is stop putting yourself in that position by turning the ball over, committing silly penalties. That offensive line, I think, is probably underperformed to date. Um, they, If they can quit making so many mental errors, I think this team could really hit a groove. Uh, but they're going to need, uh, I think, every day at, available to them during this bye week to get some of that figured out. Yeah, and it, it looks like the defense is really susceptible to the pass. Uh, Georgia Southern um, really kind of actually threw the ball a lot on them a little bit. And you uh, know what, Georgia Southern is tough to defend. Georgia Southern's a pretty good Sunbelt team. I mean, you just look at the, who's in their league. The team, the first and second place team for last year, it was Appalachian State, good team. They were 11 and 2 last year. Troy, who was 10 and 3 last year, and Georgia Southern was 6 and 2 in the division, 10 and 3 overall. So they're not a bad team, and that's what happens with some of these teams: is either the coaches aren't showing enough film, or they're um, not stamping down and call and basically getting on them and calling out every little mistake. You got to get on these guys, and I'm surprised PJ let that happen. And maybe this is a good wake-up call for him because that defense really needs to work hard. Uh, I haven't seen that great of a pass rush, honestly, out of Minnesota. Uh, they they're supposed to have a pretty good D line, good, pretty good D, uh, run defense, but uh, they're just not getting enough pass rush, and they're playing a lot too much zone coverage, not mixing it up man zone enough. Sure. Yeah, so we'll see what happens uh, here in a couple weeks when they get back at it against Purdue. Uh, moving on to Iowa, they check in at number two in our power rankings. Uh, we talked about the weather a little bit off the top. Blake, is the, the Cyhawk Trophy game still in a rain delay? Holy crap. It was and such that, a strange I mean, day. Yeah, and that, I think, might have been the difference in the game because Iowa did oh, yeah. Not- that plays into their style of football. But what the funny thing about that Iowa game is that Iowa State was playing a 3-3-5. So they had three down linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. And they couldn't run the ball. They only had 113 yards rushing, if I remember correctly, and only 200 yards passing. They had, I mean, in this day and age, to only to have less than 400 yards of total offense is insane. And especially for an Iowa team that prides itself on smash mouth football, they'd be willing to run it 50 times a game and just say, hey, we'll go into it. And the and the crazy thing that made me, I mean, that made me not look at Iowa that great anymore. I mean, put them down a notch against Wisconsin. Hey, they were playing Iowa State, so first tough game of the year. Understandable why they didn't look as great, but... They were getting pass rush with only three down linemen, and they couldn't block in the run game from from distance, from depth. They couldn't get. They didn't know where guys were coming from. Three, three, five. Those guys are blitzing all over the place. Usually bringing four or five guys. You just don't know where that fourth or fifth guy is coming from. So it was a really, really strange game. And then to, I mean, but they didn't make mistakes. No turnovers. That's an Iowa. That's a staple of Iowa football. No mistakes. Yeah. That's the recipe for success for them. There's no doubt about it. And we talked 
a little bit going into that game about how with that rivalry and some of these in-state rivalries, you really do kind of throw everything out the window. And that was just a bizarre game from start to finish with the, the rain delay, the way it ended with two Iowa State players essentially clocking each other, trying to field a punt with a little little bit of time left on the clock. Everything in between just kind of bizarre. What was, it like, what was I to text you? It was like, what, 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon? I said – or I guess I can't remember what time the game was playing or whatever, but I said, what did we say? That weird poop happens all the time? It oh, always like, does when those two teams work. play. Yep, for sure. Um, so, yeah, Iowa has this next week off too, so they'll be able to to lick whatever wounds they might have coming out of that game. Watched the film on it. What a, That was a physical game too. You could hear the pads popping throughout that entire game. So Iowa, I'm sure, will relish the chance to – uh, kind of heal up a little bit. All right, things are really starting to heat up. So the bucket hat is coming off, shades off. Let's talk Wisconsin-Michigan, Blake. I oh. have been looking forward to this game since the schedule came out. This is one of those, as, as just a college football fan or a fan of Big Ten football that you kind of had circled. And we are going to learn so much more about Wisconsin and about Michigan, frankly. Big noon kickoff on Fox, 11 a.m. Central Time. Michigan, 11th in the polls. Wisconsin, 13. I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Gambling Expert, but Wisconsin being the home team is favored. Uh, I'd be about three and a half point favorite, something that, like that. That is consistent out in Vegas currently. Yeah. So, so, so that that is that means that they they like the home dog, home guy, plus a half a point. I mean, sure. three points for, for basically you getting three points for being home. Yeah. And a three and a half point spread, yeah, that's that's close. So that's indicative of, of what type of game to expect. These, frankly, Blake, Blake are, are two teams that really feel like they have something to prove. And it starts with Michigan. It's your fifth year under Jim Harbaugh. Um, for as much success as they've had and for as much money as Harbaugh is making, for as much revenue as that program brings in for that school and what that sport means to to that state and that university, the numbers are kind of baffling. Under Harbaugh, Michigan, one and nine against top 10 teams. Now, Wisconsin just outside of that, so that won't really come into play this weekend, but it's worth bringing up. Hasn't been to a college football playoff under Harbaugh, hasn't won a Big Ten championship, and, you know, the fans in Michigan love this 0-4 against Ohio State. Uh, Shea Patterson, the quarterback for the Wolverines, said himself, we're just looking to go out there, that is, to Camp Randall Stadium in Madtown and make a statement. That was his direct quote, make a statement. Uh, Wisconsin wants to do the same thing. Eight and five last year, only team in the nation that hasn't given up a point yet. That defense has been awesome, but it hasn't necessarily been tested, at least not the way it will or could be against a team with a quarterback like Shea Patterson and some of the talent that Michigan has. We'll find out if the Badgers are for real this Saturday. Um, it's going to be a great game. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and you're going to just be looking at this, Mich this Michigan team is really weird. They basically played right into Army's hands last week. And we, you know what? I'm not really going to be really that worried about Michigan yet until this week. I want to see what they do against Wisconsin. And same with Wisconsin. I haven't been worried about them until this week. We're, we don't know based off the talent that they're playing. And now, yes, they barely beat Army. But they were basically just running into eight-man, nine-man fronts the entire game. Weren't getting their balls, the, the ball out to... Donovan People Jones or Tariq Black, they have really good skill position players at Michigan. Now it's going to come up front because Michigan's O line has sucked horrible. It has been terrible, and Wisconsin keeps churning out really good D linemen and really good outside linebackers and pretty darn good defensive backs. I'm I'm really excited to see the defensive backs go against. And play their no doubt daylight defense. I mean, no, put, keep everything in front of you. They have a very similar style to Iowa, where they keep everything in front, but they close fast, they close hard, and they may, they punish you for even trying to get the ball out to those skill guys. But the thing is, is they might just get, might not even get the ball because Shea Patterson has been running for his life. I'm wondering if they were just kind of playing possum. I mean, 
Jim Harbaugh and the Harbaugh's have been known to kind of keep their offenses under wraps for a while. I don't know. And Harbaugh is supposedly not really that involved. Gaddis is this is his first year playing calling plays. He was at Alabama, but he was not calling plays. Mike Loxley was. What the heck's going on? But you know what? It's going to be great. <laughs> Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin Camp Randall, their atmosphere, but it's really only packed for two quarters, the second and third quarter. People don't show up until the until fir- the end of the first because they're still <laughs> tailgating, or I guess there's not really that many tailgates at in Wisconsin. They're all at house parties. Yeah, house uh, parties, plenty of bars with beer bongs from the second level all the way to the bottom. Um, but yeah, they uh, great atmosphere. They're going to be there the whole game. They're going to be rocking and rolling. I mean, this is essentially, I mean, it's a top 20, 20 matchup, top 15 matchup. It might as well be a top 10 matchup. I'm really excited to see how this is going to look. Uh, hopefully we have a good game this weekend. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's uh, another chance for us to watch Jonathan Taylor do his thing too. And that's always exciting in and of itself. We'll talk a little more about him toward the end of, of this week's episode. Um, a prediction, Blake. We've talked about who we like to come out of the West. I'm still sticking with Nebraska, despite its woes to come out the gates. Um, you've leaned toward Wisconsin. Is this a preview of the Big Ten Championship game, do you think? No. Ohio State? Ohio State. Hard not to pick against them. They Hard to pick against them, rather. They have looked phenomenal uh, under uh, Coach Day. Yeah, but who cares? Who, who have they played? You don't know how good they are. Yeah. Honestly... Yeah. We don't even know how good they're really going to be until after the Nebraska game. I mean, cause, and not even the Nebraska game because we don't even really, we won't know how good Nebraska is until Assuming Ohio they State. take care of business against yeah. Illinois. Yep, that's going to be a fun one in two weeks. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm looking at them. I mean, I think we both kind of have them right now. It's number three in the big in our Big Ten West power rankings. They're not quite as good as Iowa and Wisconsin, but they're supposed to. They should be better than Northwestern. Purdue and all these other teams, and I really still feel this way. They can bite any of those teams above them, but I think Ohio State has, over the last couple of years, proven that they're a notch above even the Iowas and the Wisconsins of the world. Well, sure, and they may have changed coaches, but that doesn't mean that the talent they've been able to recruit Their all of a sudden jumped ship. They're insanely athletic, especially on that side of the ball. Yeah, their defense is better. The only thing I worry about is uh, Justin Fields has been running a lot. If he gets hurt, what do they have behind him? Sure. We'll knock on wood for him because he's been fun to watch as well. Uh, we'll talk more about the Buckeyes, I'm sure, throughout the, the rest of this season as we get into Big Ten play. Moving back down toward the bottom of our power rankings, Purdue. How worried should Purdue be after that loss to TCU? Uh, I'd be more worried about getting healthy, <laughs> honestly. if Cinderella didn't play. And what was the final score? Uh, it was like 35-10, 35-7 or something. I can't even remember at this point, but I just remember looking at him like going, what the heck happened to this? You know, there's no scoring. And then I looked, and Cinderella didn't play. There was like some some guy that hadn't – he was a true freshman or something and or even a walk-on. And I'm like, what the heck? Their running back gets hurt. They had, barely had a running game before that. They have, over, they have five starters that are – um, out with injury. It comes down to the D-line and the O-line. They have no depth up there. Their D-line's pretty athletic, but they don't have anything behind them. O-line cannot protect that long, and they can't run the ball. They have good skill guys, can't get can't get enough time to get the ball in space. On defensive side, can't stop the run, so the skill guys are catching them at five, seven, eight yards beyond the line of scrimmage. I, I'm not. I'm not. Ter- I mean, yes, it stinks because you're kind of wasting a year of Rondell Moore and uh, a couple other skilled guys that they have. You know, so it, and that stinks for them. But uh, I wouldn't be terribly wor- worried because, like we've said, this is probably the best teams that the West has produced. But any of them is susceptible to a big night of scoring. Yeah, absolutely. Sindelar being out hurts. Hopefully he's able to get back soon. 
other thing with Purdue you have to think about is if they could find a way to get some semblance of a running game going, that would make that pass threat to Rondale Moore and some of those other skill guys a little more viable. Their, their ground games were pretty much non-existent. Um, you can kind of sit back and, and really focus on defending those guys in the back end. If they, if they could get the ground game going a little more, even if it's some jet sweeps with more, some some misdirection, even just running him across the formation so you make the defense think twice. Um, Jeff Brom's a smart guy. He knows way more about football than, than you and I do. No offense. I'm sure they'll, they'll try to get it figured out. And if they're not vying for a division oh, title, <laughs> they're going to, to to figure into things because they still have enough talent to, to trip folks up, as we saw last year. And Ohio State, speaking of the Buckeyes fans, know all too well. Finally, number five in our power rankings, Northwestern. I should mention Purdue is off this week, so they'll get a chance to uh, nurse some of those injuries. Northwestern, a decent win against UNLV. What did you take away from that? I kind of felt like it was one of those games where maybe the final score doesn't necessarily you know, indicate where a team is at, but um, what are, how are the fighting Fitzes looking in the great football mind that belongs to Blake Molly at this point in the season? Uh, scary. Uh, they still won the game, so it doesn't matter. Wins a win. Hunter Johnson looks terrible. Um, you are not on Team Hunter Johnson whatsoever. Hey, I was. I thought that they, he might be the reason why they'll be even better, but he's actually been terrible. How is this guy was rated higher than Tua Tagovailoa when he came out of high school? He was the five-star general that was going to come in after getting beat out by Hunter Lo- or. Trevor Lawrence out in at Clemson. Um, he had he only had a forty eight percent completion uh, percentage against UNLV, who has one of the worst defenses in the country. Sure, sure. Could have been a good game, but but it, this is a trend. I mean, Hunter Johnson looked terrible. He got replaced by T.J. Green, who promptly breaks his foot and has to have surgery. I don't know how long he's out. Could be a month. Uh, it could be even longer. It could be six weeks. They, they need to figure out a way to get Hunter Johnson going. And I don't know what they have behind him. So if he gets hurt, they might be screwed. So they might not be able to run him, even though he's a little athletic. Uh, and then <laughs> they play Michigan State this week. Who, I th- we thought that they turned the corner and they had a ton of points the, the two weeks prior. And then they lose 10-7 to to Arizona State. And when was the last time a Pac-12 team even played in a game with a score that low? That was unbelievable. Is this game even going to have 20, 20 points scored? I'll have to see what happens. I I think it could be a chance for Michigan State's offense, which has been maligned for the better part of the last season plus, to, to maybe do some things against that Northwestern hey, defense. don't talk against Patty Fisher that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Patty Fisher would, uh, would eat my yes. lunch if he was, if he was here. Um, so that one is at 11 a.m. on ABC, kind of getting things going this Saturday. It could be a good matchup as well. Uh, definitely will be a, a schlobber knocker of a Big Ten football game. So Northwestern checks in at number five. Let's get to our stories of the week. I'll go ahead and, and do the honors first. I want to talk a little more about Jonathan Taylor. We've sung his praises on this podcast every single episode we've done in the the long-standing four-week history of the show. Um, obviously, you watch the highlights, you hear his name, you see him on Sports Center. You can see everything he can do on the field. Uh, anybody who's following college football knows he's at the very least a dark horse Heisman candidate. He's a two-time All-American and has really on his way to kind of rewriting some of college football's record books. Uh, but if you look at, at, at Jonathan Taylor, the person, it's it's an interesting story. Uh, he obviously has a great reverence for the running back tradition at Wisconsin. He's talked about that multiple times, um, including a story that actually a former colleague of mine um, at Fox Sports, Jesse Temple, who now works for The Athletic, penned over the summer, um, had a nice feature on on Jonathan Taylor in The Athletic. And there's, there's, a, there's a real reverence for some of the names on the wall in that running back room that Jonathan Taylor has. Alan Amishi, Ron Dane, more recently Monty Ball, obviously Melvin Gordon. Um, 
Jonathan Taylor wants to be the next one in that line and even surpass that. And he's well on his way. He's got over 4,100 career rushing yards coming into this year. Get this, Blake. Only two other college football players all time have ever reached 3,500 yards through two seasons. Ron Dane, Wisconsin, and another guy named Herschel Walker who had a pretty decent uh, career for himself. So that's the type of company that Jonathan Taylor was in as a sophomore before he ever had a touch in this his junior season. What he's focused on is really kind of transforming himself into an every down back, uh, working on his receiving, his pass blocking. He actually spent some time with Melvin Gordon this offseason when Gordon was in town for a camp, and that seemed to really you know, rub off on on Taylor. Uh, he's a humble guy. His parents have been interviewed multiple times and they really talk about how they almost wish he, he'd act or play with a little more of an edge. Uh, there was a game last year where a defender uh, clocked him and uh, Taylor, you know, never uh, phased, of course, pops right back up, helps up the defender. And his dad talked to him about it after the game and was like, you got to have a little more of an edge. Why are you helping him up? And he just said, dad, I want him to know I'm going to keep coming at him. Uh, that's the mentality that it takes to, to be as successful of a player as Jonathan Taylor. He obviously has a ton of God-given talent, uh, but putting the work in and staying motivated and staying self-accountable, uh, that's how successful people attack life, frankly. Constantly asking yourself, how can I get better? Whether it's Blake, you know, working on, on selling insurance or myself and my marketing job. Uh, there have been countless defensive linemen uh, who have taken ballet classes in college to work on their footwork. Uh, you, you see the pictures of, you know, the Beatles slaving away in the wee hours of the morning trying to perfect their music. Shoot, John Paul II went to confession every day. Day. So constantly asking, how can I self, how can I get better? We're not comparing Jonathan Taylor to, to the Holy Father, obviously, but a great story and some great lessons from, from a humble kid from New Jersey who's got a, a huge payday coming and um, has really been fun to watch and looking forward to watching him do his thing against that Michigan defense this weekend. Yeah, and I completely agree with um, everything you said as far as how great he's becoming because I've really seen a huge difference between what he's looked like over the last two years to this, even this year. How scary which, is that? Which it's is terrifying. crazy. Is you, I mean, he was. I think he was just a freak athlete yep. with uh, running behind a big line and was able to, you know, accentuate a lot of his his powers, his prowess. This year, I have seen the freakiest agility, power. I mean, he may give Saquon Barkley a run for his money. How no good question. he is! I think I he's mean, in that company. I don't yeah. think that's a stretch at all. Yeah, so, man, this this he could be, I mean, sucks for Wisconsin, but the guy should go pro this, the, over this year, next year. They know that, too. Paul Christ has gone to him before and essentially said, when he was even when he's being recruited, we know we'll probably only have you for three years. They, they understand that, but what a three years it's been. Yeah, and so my, my story is all about A.J. Epines and his family. His dad uh, came from America's, American Samoa. Uh, he immigrated and went to college and played football at Iowa Wesleyan for a year and then transferred as a walk-on to Iowa. Walked on and graduated, became a captain, all that jazz. Then his son, who plays, he's from, I think it was someplace, EHS is the name of the high school. I'm dri driving me nuts that I can't think of the name of the, the school. Essentially, the St. Louis suburb. It's okay. We'll let it slide. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. St. Louis suburb. And... Uh, the guy just has these humble beginnings. He comes from, you know, a suburban neighborhood, but he doesn't forget because he actually runs a camp every summer of conditioning for the neighborhood. They have barbecues every week, a couple times a week in his parents' backyards. They play a lot, play along. And it's just a great story of having family and bringing a neighborhood together, not forgetting where you came from and just doing the right thing all the time. Pretty cool. Um, to see all that and how he can bring together a community. I, I'll, I like, I'll put a link to the story. Uh, it came out this summer uh, on one of those uh, weird Iowa blogs. Uh, that's just my Nebraska <laughs> fandom coming out. But uh, really looking forward to uh, hope, hopefully people will check out the AJ Epinesa story in a little bit. If you have any doubt about how dedicated Blake is to the success of this program, the fact that he's 
actively seeking out information on Iowa football should tell you a lot. That that also takes balls. <sighs> Huge. We one. did something uh, a little different this past week. We we kind of put out a blast on Facebook and asked some of our followers, and we appreciate all of you who follow along on any of our social media channels. Uh, what 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 you'd like us to talk about, and we want to continue to solicit that feedback. Uh, we want this to be fun. We want it to be a conversation. So, um, a few questions from our audience that we'll kind of roll through here now. Alex asked us to kind of break down who we think the five best teams. Uh, have been since the the east west split was created a few years ago so an example might be like 2015 iowa um blake you you and i kind of started to take a stab at that but but realized it's a little challenging it's a little challenging because even I, i'm actually going to go with all the division winners uh since it was created because we've had this switch up from the legends and leaders division where wisconsin and nebraska actually played each other in the big 10 championship at one point um, and those were probably, I mean, that was probably Nebraska's best team in the, and since joining the big 10. Um, and then we, we actually, since the West has been created, the West has not been that great. I, the year that Iowa went undefeated in the big 10, I'm sorry, the West was not that great. Uh, Wisconsin was decent, but they weren't near as good as they had been in the years past. Um, and even Northwestern last year. I'm actually going to say the best team was the Melvin Gordon team that that um, actually lost to Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game. is probably the best team, most uh, athletic team that probably had the be best shot, even though – and I'm kind of a com com combination of talent and who played who and all that stuff. But I'm sorry, Iowa just didn't play that many people, and I know. This is a huge argument between Iowa fans and the rest of the Big Ten. But I'm sorry. I actually think the Iowa team the next year was actually better but had a worse record. That's just my opinion. It's really hard to tell. Um, and hopefully we start to see some of these teams start getting better. Um, I mean, P.J. Fleck, he's bringing up Minnesota. Purdue with Braum. Let's see what the Lovey Bears can do after. Maybe they'll have maybe they'll have Peters for two years and finally have some continuity and maybe look a little bit better next year. I mean, that's the biggest biggest thing. He's been in the Lovey Bears been in the Big Ten Conference for three years now and has had over six different starting quarterbacks. It's unbelievable. Well, thank you, Alex, for submitting uh, that question, that topic. Andrew wanted to know what we think is a realistic over-under win-loss for Nebraska for the rest of the season after seeing what the Huskers bring to the table through a few games. To your point, Blake, I think we're going to know a lot more after the next couple weeks. But, you know, when you kind of look at the current betting line um, and sort of what the over-under should be, has, has it shifted in your mind? Or where do you think Nebraska's at after kind of – Nothing ever goes as planned with this team in the past 20 years. Have you noticed that? It's already been a season that I don't think anyone could have even expected, and we're only three games in. Yeah, and I, I think everybody expected the offense to play a lot better. Taylor, or 2 a.m. There you go again. I almost went all the way, though. I almost I caught myself. Adrian Martinez, 2 a.m. He's, he's for sure probably the best quarterback or maybe the second best quarterback in the Big Ten Conference. And he's not playing that well, but mainly because he hasn't had any time. The play call, he, and it doesn't look like his coach has given him a lot of trust, but I don't know if it's necessarily because of him. I think it's because of the other people surrounding him, not getting enough time, not get, having enough receivers that know what the heck they're doing. Um, so I actually think the current batting line is 8.5 over 100. That's updated from multiple different sites. Uh I, so I'm actually looking at, if I look at the games going forward, so we already have one loss with Colorado, which we won't talk about ever again. Yeah, we buried that last week. I'm saying 90% chance, 90 to 95% chance we lose to Ohio State. I think they're going to just smash us. The talent gap is too large, um, even though it is at Nebraska. Ohio State, there's nobody to look forward to. They play Michigan State the next week, and then they have a bye, I think. So, night game in Lincoln, though. Night game in Lincoln. Strange. Night game in Lincoln. They're going to be up for it. They're not going to miss. They're not. They're going to. They're not going to miss it. And we have not been that great in Lincoln for a long time. We just haven't been that good. We haven't been that dominating. 
Why do I keep saying we? I need to start saying Nebraska. But well, you'll have all next week to preview that game. They've got to get through the Illini first. As much so, Iowa State is still on top of the world. Uh, they're a playoff caliber caliber team. Wisconsin, I'm not sure. I think they could be a playoff caliber team. Who knows though? We just don't know. We ha- they haven't played anybody, so whiskey's really good. But I think the the game is played at Nebraska this year, so I'm actually going to give that a 50 50. Um, Actually, I'm, I'm going to give the slight lean to Wisconsin at 70-30 Wisconsin chance. So pulling that win there, and I'm actually 50-50 on Iowa and Maryland. Maryland just scares me. They have a lot of a lot of athletes. Uh, they, they could put a game together. Um, and Nebraska, in recent past, just haven't given me a lot to trust in. I would bet the under at this point, but I wouldn't be surprised because at 8.5. We're looking at 6-3 and three in the Big Ten with this prediction schedule. And uh, I think it was eight and four overall. Six and three Big Ten. That could be a three-way tie depending on how we do how Nebraska does against Iowa and Wisconsin. So I mean, there's still hope to get to the Big Ten championship at that point. Um, what What are your thoughts? Do you think that there's a chance? I mean, I think here's the thing: is I wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska's O line puts it together and they're still able to beat Wisconsin or or Iowa. And then pull off the Maryland, or even lose to Wisconsin, and go seven and two in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think your Ohio State. I think your assessment is is pretty spot on. Uh, it's hard to to bet the over just based on what we've seen so far. I'm kind of stubborn, so I'm not backing off of my pick for them to win the division. Does our road look tougher than it did? Did a lot of us maybe buy into the, the offseason hype a little bit? Potentially. I don't think anybody expected some of the challenges that Martinez and the offense has had. Um, but you go off the data points you have, and what I keep going back to is just how much better Nebraska was at the end of last season than the beginning. And well, the to your funny point, thing, well, I the, think I could see Nebraska really improving as the year goes on. Well, the funny thing that um... – I had this freaking fruit fly that keeps going after me. That's it's, the clapping and snapping yeah. in the background, you all. Yeah. Are. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fighting uh, the forces of nature to get this episode recorded. It's dedication. Yeah. The, the funny thing about it, though, is that I actually feel more confident than I did at the beginning of the year against Northwestern. More confident against against Purdue. Yeah, it's more not like Nebraska. Indiana. Under- yeah. So, but I'm. But then the games that. I was more confident against Wisconsin than going into the year, sure, going sure. into the year than I am now. Iowa, I'm still 50-50 on because I think the way they play football leaves a lot to, to be to be desired. They're just not um, putting up enough points, honestly, and putting a lot of pressure on their defense. And the bend don't break. They're not quite just bend don't break. They play they play really well, really good defense. Sure. You can only do that for so long. Defenses break. Even the best do. Look at Ohio State when they got smashed by uh, Penn State one year. They got smashed by Purdue. They got smashed by Wisconsin. They got smashed by Iowa. You got to be able to put up points and win a shootout a couple times. Yeah, I don't play with, I can do that. Yeah, you play with fire, you get burnt. So if you're asking me to predict just based on what we've seen so far, uh, it's hard for me to, to predict that Nebraska is going to beat Ohio State, I, I think that's going to be a very entertaining close game. It's hard for me to predict that they're going to beat Wisconsin. I actually think they're going to come to play against Iowa and beat Iowa. Um, obviously, a lot can happen between now and then. The Maryland game scares me. It has, just based on where it falls on the schedule, um, kind of your classic, I know it's cliche, but trap game. I'm not the only person who's said that. Um, so it kind of aligns with what you're saying. You know, you, you, you come out of that one unscathed. It's a two losses in conference and your chances of going to Indianapolis are pretty good. Um, so I think that's best case scenario at this point, but, uh, we're going to know more next week and the week after that. And then more is going to happen. And especially with this team, there's going to be all kinds of topsy turvy things and we'll Well, see where things kind of shake out at the end of the year. And people are going to probably start asking, like, well, where's Wisconsin getting their three losses? Where's Iowa getting their three losses? Let's just run down a couple of the places that they could lose. They could lose this week to Michigan. That's a that's a conference loss. 
They could lose to Michigan State. I know they well, don't look that great, but they could. They play Ohio that, State again. Yeah, defense, they could yeah. lose to Nebraska. That's four. They could lose to Iowa. That's four or five games that are close to 50-50, if not maybe 70-30 or 60-40 chances. Those are all losable games. Well, now, let's be honest. The reason this division, a big reason this division is so wide open is because of the schedule that maybe that second tier of team has. Minnesota has a much softer schedule. Nebraska's schedule, to your point, sets up easier than some of the teams at the top of our power rankings Wisconsin, right now. So Wisconsin that's and I have the two toughest in the division. Right, they and they're play, probably the they two best play teams Michigan. at this point. Yeah. Yep. So we'll see how it shakes out. Andrew, thanks for bringing that up. A great discussion. We'll 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 see if we're idiots or or if we we kind of know what we're talking about. It's it's a good question. Hey, Finally, I went three three and one this week. Well, congrats. That's an improvement, I think. Right. It is actually. <laughs> um. I finally, I lost the venue. Another Nebraska question from Tim. I I believe, I, I don't want to step too far out on a limb and make any assumptions. I believe Tim might be trolling just a little bit asking this question, but he I asked this what we call poop posting. Was hiring Scott Frost a mistake? Uh, yes, obviously. Scott Frost has um, done nothing to prove that he belongs uh, in Division One as a head coach. He's been in Nebraska far long enough to have been successful to this point. He didn't inherit any problems at all, and uh, they should probably seriously consider looking elsewhere on the hot seat with those hot, tight pants, I would say. Dang it. I was going to say, plus he wears hot pants. No, still your thunder. I'm sure that's not the last time that'll happen. But um, in all seriousness, we talked about it last week, and I won't belabor the point. If Scott Frost can't do it in Nebraska, nobody can do it in Nebraska. He was a perfect hire for this program. The there's they're so early in his tenure. Um, you look at the players who have performed very well for Nebraska this year, the young guys that are surprising. A lot of them were already recruited by Scott Frost staff. Give it time. 110 new players since he took over. And that's what it takes. That program had a gigantic culture problem, and those things don't get fixed overnight. He's made strides and leaps and bounds, and and we'll hopefully see that uh, bear itself out on the field the rest of the season. Yep. So I believe that's going to do it. Again, be sure to check us out on Facebook, on Twitter. We're on SoundCloud and YouTube. Blake will post his picks. We'll post the power rankings as well. Uh, be sure to subscribe, too, so you're you're able to access our content as easily and, and have it fed to you as possible. And, and one more time, throw us a note on Facebook. Tweet at us. Uh, shoot us an email. We're also on the interwebs at simplythewest.wixsite.com slash simplythewest. You can get at us on there as well. Um, always looking for feedback. How can we make this better? What would you like to hear us talk about? Any closing thoughts or remarks from you, Blake? Or are you going to go try to see if you can maybe score uh, one more cheeseburger before bed here? Don't You just tempted me. Now I'm going to have to go do that. Well, you're welcome. I always try to be a good influence. Thank you, sir. Thank you all for listening. For Blake Molly, I'm Phil Irvin. This has been the Simply the West podcast. We will talk to you next week. You're simply-